the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It is the Wednesday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And as you know, this is a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering Bible questions, questions about anything going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. You only need to call us, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630 Five seven five seven. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app and send them to us that way. And remember, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Let me get right to some questions. A quick reminder, tonight I'm going to be teaching uh, in 1 Kings chapter 21. I'm emphasizing that because all week I've been thinking I'm going to be doing chapter 22. But chapter 21, uh, the next last chapter in 1 Kings, and we're going to be going uh, in a couple of weeks to uh, straight through to 2 Kings. Uh, that's tonight here at 7 o'clock. You can also watch it live stream at calvarysa.com. We'd love to have you join us. we got room on Wednesday nights, and it's always a pleasure to meet uh, some of you from the radio audience. So that's tonight at 7 o'clock. And then tomorrow, Paula will be live in studio with me. I think she's chomping at the bit. It's been a couple of weeks since Paula has been on the air. And uh, I don't know what she's going to talk about, but I imagine she's got a lot. So that's tomorrow. Ladies, it's a program especially dedicated for you. We we typically get more calls from men on her day than, than women. But uh, if there's anything on your heart, we will be here to answer as best we can on the date day edition of the program tomorrow. Okay, let's get right to some questions that have been sent while we sent in while we wait for any phone calls. The first one is from our email inbox from Carlson. Uh, Carlson says, "Good afternoon. I want to first say I've been in my Bible every single day since March 22, 2022. I'm gonna <laughs> Carlson. That's me in the background clapping for you. God bless you for that." Um, he says, not only reading, but taking copious notes and thoroughly enjoying my reading and research. Now, before I go on, Carlson hit on something that, that you can't ever find out until you really dig in, that he actually enjoyed the reading and the research. Studying is a fun thing. It's an enlightening thing. It's, a, it's an eye-opening thing. And, uh, you know, people just never really learn that unless they're in the Bible. So Carlson, I'm really thrilled for you and uh, I hope you're an inspiration to many watching this program. Okay, he says, with that, I find many questions to come to me during my personal study time. One of those questions is the following. Uh, Why did John the Baptist feel a need to send two of his followers to ask if Jesus is the one to come 
when in Luke chapter 3, verse 16, he already knew that Jesus was the one. Um, Carlson, I get asked that question quite a bit. Um, I want you to think about something for a moment. From from the time John the Baptist was born, um, he knew what his calling was, filled from the, the by the Spirit with the womb or within the womb of his mother. Uh, he knew what his calling was. John and Jesus were cousins. Um, we don't have any indication of how much time they spent together growing up. But yes, they knew one another. And of course, at the uh, Jordan River, when Jesus was um, at the head of the line to be baptized by John the Baptist, John looked at him and said, no, it is I who should be baptized by you. And so he knew that Jesus was the one. In fact, Jesus told him, you're right, but but let's do this to fulfill our righteousness. So John absolutely knew for sure who Jesus was. Now, the question is, remember, John was a human. And like all other humans, when things don't turn out the way we think they will, we have a tendency to doubt. And that's exactly what happened. John the Baptist was in prison. He had done nothing wrong. John the Baptist believed because John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets. I know he appears in the New Testament, but but his truly is a Jewish uh, Old Testament prophecy role. And John the Baptist believed that when the Christ came, uh, that he would set Israel free from Roman oppression, from Roman rule. Um, that, that God would again reestablish his kingdom. And, and of course, when we think about a king, we don't think about a king who's going to be a suffering servant king. And so John was confused. He didn't have the insight to the Old Testament scriptures that um, was available to us after Jesus uh, was crucified and risen from the dead. So John was in prison. He was afraid for his life. He knew what was going to happen to him. And um, those doubts come creeping in. That just shows how human he was. It's almost like he was saying, Carlson, it's almost like he was saying, go to Jesus and tell him, well, well, you know, I was sure you were the one, but this doesn't end the way that I thought it was going to end. So are you the one or is there somebody else to come? And Jesus, you remember when his disciples went to him, Jesus said, you go tell him this. And he just quoted some Old Testament scriptures about what the Messiah would do. Now, when John would have gotten that message from Jesus, um, he would have taken a deep breath and understood, oh, there's more here than I've imagined could be possible. So that's what it was, Carlson. It wasn't that he 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 had doubts other than, hey, this isn't the way things are supposed to turn out. No doubt the enemy was pounding him. Um, he was afraid, like we would be, for for uh, for losing our life. And he just wanted to be sure that my work wasn't in vain. And that's what he did. So when Jesus sent his disciples back with that message, that would have been a great source of comfort to him. And he could have rested. And certainly we know that as he lost his head uh, with Salome's request, um, he died knowing that he was effective. He died knowing that Jesus was the one. I hope that makes sense to you. I think the lesson for all of us there, Carlson, is that we don't take uh, our expectations seriously. In fact, I try to tell our church here, don't have expectations. God typically does not do things the way we expect him to do them. And if we get bound up in our expectations, then we too entertain doubts, doubts that are brought on by the enemy of our souls. Good question. And again, Carlson, God bless you for reading your Bible. That is a wonderful, wonderful uh, report. Here's a question from our mobile app. This one is from Jake. He asks, what is a Christian's role in society? Should they get involved in government? Um, Jake, a Christian's role, I'm going to start very broadly here, and then I'll, I'll narrow it into the political realm. Um, a Christian's role in society is to be a light. That's all Jesus ever asked us to do. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So our role is to, 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 to be filled with the joy of the Lord, uh, to be committed to God, to walk a straight path following Jesus every single day. Um, he told uh, uh, in the Old Testament, 
um, not to turn to the left or to the right, but keep focused on my word. You have my word. Um, he told Joshua. So uh, that's our role. Our role is to do good when we can. Our role is to please God, to worship God. That's our role in society. Now, whether or not they should get involved in government or in politics, I believe, now this is just me me talking, Jake, uh, I believe that God would be pleased if there were some Christian men and women who would get involved in politics and government roles. Um, uh, I, I think that's a, a high calling. Uh, I think it is a virtuous calling. But here's the problem. Um, we couldn't compromise. You know, the first thing that has to happen when you get into politics, you got to start looking to please people so you can get elected instead of just telling the truth. Uh, here's what I think, Jake. I think if God calls somebody, a Christian, to run for office, then they've got to do it on his terms. That means they've got to say this is right and this is wrong. They've got to to to, to tell the truth. They've got to be direct. Um, they've got to communicate the gospel message. They've got to identify uh, with Jesus Christ publicly. And most PR people involved in politics will tell you that's a death knell. Nobody could get elected if they did that. I believe, Jake, that there would be um, some surprises. If God really is calling people in to to the political realm, um, then then if they would do it on his terms, I really believe that God would surprise us. I have known some Christians, uh, Calvary Chapel pastors, um, uh, who got involved in politics. One in Thousand Oaks, California, became the mayor of the city and then later ran for uh, um, uh, the House of Representatives and did not win. He was elected to be the mayor, uh, and he was a pastor of a church, and he he actually did both things, uh, which I'm not sure is the right thing, uh, but but uh, he was involved and is still now now he's only a pastor, uh, and he is in, still involved, uh, probably way too involved in politics, rather than just proclaiming the the, the word of God. Uh, and then I knew another young man who ran for city council uh, in um, in the Waco area. I don't know how close to Waco it was. I'm not familiar with the geography that much in that part of Texas. Uh, but in, in Temple area is where it was. Uh, and um, um, he ran. He believed with all of his heart that God was calling him to do it. He did not win. Um, I, I can say on his behalf, he did not compromise and he did not get elected. And I think he brought great honor to the Lord in the process. So I would love to see a bunch of Christians step up and say, I'm going to get involved in school boards. I'm going to get involved uh, in in parent-teacher groups. I'm going to get involved in city council elections and and, uh, state representative legislation or legislator elections Um, and, and, and even beyond. Uh, but but if they do that, they've got to remember that it's God who called them and they're an ambassador or they literally represent Jesus Christ rather than a political party or an ideology. So, um, Jake, I hope that answers your question. Uh, I would just love to see somebody who would stand up for Jesus Christ without apology, without being ashamed. And say, you know what? I believe God is calling me to run for this office. And if I run for this office, this is what I'm going to represent. This is who I'm going to be. If they would do that, uh, I would be on that bandwagon in a minute. So thank you for that question. I appreciate it very, very much. Um, 340-9585 if you want to call and ask a question or toll free 877-630-KSLR. Here's another question from our mobile app. This one from Monique. She says, is believing in a six-day creation week necessary or can I believe in theistic evolution? Um, Monique, um, what you believe regarding creation is not considered an essential of the historic Christian faith. Um, So it is, I guess, technically possible to believe in theistic evolution um, and and still be a Christian. Now, you're going to find out that you're wrong when you get to heaven. And I can say this, Monique, it is impossible to be a fruitful Christian if you believe in theistic evolution. It's that simple. The first four words of our Bible is, In the beginning, God. 
And it's made as a statement of fact. It's not a suggestion. It's not saying, well, you know, if you really want to believe it, you can. In the beginning, God. God created the heavens and the earth. And and if we don't believe that, then our Bible loses all value. And if the Bible loses value, practically speaking, in your life, then you don't know what to stand for. The Bible is either all right or it's all wrong. And we've got to understand that. I think more to the point, Monique, if Jesus believed in a literal six-day creation, and we know he did in the beginning, he said God created uh, Adam and Eve. Um, If Jesus believed in a six-day creation, uh, if he believed that Adam and Eve were the first two human beings, and if he made them perfect, and he created man, and, and he said things, this was very good. If Jesus believed that, and if he said it, and we know he did because it's in our Bibles, if it's not true, then Jesus is a liar. And if Jesus is lying, Monique, then he can't save us because he is not without sin. So here's the thing that we really have to understand. Do we really want to believe what the Bible declares? And if we throw out a literal six-day creation, if we dismiss Adam and Eve as being the first two humans who were born perfect without sin, then what else in our Bible do we throw out? And those are really difficult questions to to answer. Uh, If God were were involved in theistic evolution, uh, that would be cruel. That would be cruel. Uh, that that would force us to believe that Adam and Eve weren't the first two human beings, that we had um, uh, cavemen and cave women uh, wandering around. You know, it, it's just, it's a matter. You've got to make a decision, Monique, about what you believe. And, you know, we have to understand the role of science. The Bible is not a science book, but whenever it reports on science things, it does so with 100% accuracy. So here's what we really need to understand. Uh, science begins, those who believe in, in, in Big Bang theories or in evolution or any other alternative form, um, they begin with the premise that there is no God. And that means that every conclusion that they come up with is going to be faulty. It's that clear. And Monique, what we have to do as Christians is decide who we're going to believe. It's interesting in my lifetime. Uh, the the age of the earth has gone from millions of years old to billions and billions of years old. Well, which is it? When I was young, science uh, demanded that they be believed as accurate, and yet now we know they weren't accurate. And we could go through that over and over and over. Uh, There's been no um, missing link ever found. Um, Darwin himself said, if there's not a missing link, then then this theory makes no sense. So, a literal six days, if you read Genesis chapters 1 and 2, the Hebrew word for a day is only used in the Bible to describe a 24-hour day. Evening in the morning. Evening in the morning. Evening in the morning. On the seventh day, God was done. He saw it was very good, and he rested. And if you don't believe that's true, then you're going to throw out a whole bunch of the rest of your Bible. And then the truth is, we don't have any direction at all. We have a God that didn't tell us what we needed to know to survive. So, is it essential to the historic Christian faith? I don't know. I don't make those rules. I can say this. It is an absolute essential for having a fruitful Christian life, at the very least. So I hope that answers your question, Monique. And let me challenge you to find out. See, that's the beautiful thing about our Bibles. If you really dig in and you want to know what's true, and if you're willing to accept what's true, as God reveals it to you, then you're on the most fascinating journey of your life. See, God, I don't know how 
you could make everything in six literal days. I don't know if I can trust my Bible or not. But show me. Monique, I went through that experience as as a fairly new Christian. And it took me about two and a half to three months to be satisfied that the Bible was literally the Word of God. As a result, I've never had a moment's doubt about my salvation. I've never had any doubt about the truth of Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead. All the problems that the rest of the world is is losing their hair over, I leave in the hands of God. My life is filled with peace and joy. Confidence that God is who he said he was and is going to do what he said he's going to do. And I promise you, if you begin that journey with an open heart and an open mind, you'll come to the conclusion God will reveal to you that his word is absolutely trustworthy. And it's something every Christian ought to do. You need to be convinced. You know, and nobody's holding on the line, so that's why I'm talking for a long time on this. This is so important. I was one of those curious new Christians. Things didn't make sense. I remember when some Christians, when as a brand new Christian, they, they wanted to talk to me about the rapture. And it seemed so silly. I mean, it just seemed like science fiction. I thought, what have I gotten myself into? And so I'd ask questions, and every time I would ask a question, they would start their response with, well, the Bible says. And I had to decide if I could depend on the Bible. If the Bible's true, great. If the Bible's not true, then I I understood. I was a a grown man. I understood that, that we didn't really have any direction at all. We could sort of make God who we wanted him to be. And so I that's what started me on trying to find out whether or not the Bible was really the Word of God. And it's changed my life. And of course, uh, for 31 years, my life has been devoted to the Word of God, the Bible. Good question. Thank you, Monique. I pray that you will um, hear the answer. Uh, Here's an anonymous question, also from our mobile app. Uh, Here she says, winning people to Christ was more important to Paul than any personal freedom he might enjoy. Is that true? If so, how do we practically apply that in our own lives? Anonymous, I think this is sort of the the central element of of the purpose of life. Um, Winning people to Christ, he was willing to give his place in heaven for Jews if only they'd believe. That's Romans chapter 9, the first five verses. And the Jews were trying to kill him. And Paul said, no, 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 I still want them in heaven so much I'd give my place for them. So, yeah, I would say winning people to Christ was the one thing that motivated Paul more than anything else. That also ought to be what motivates us. Now, we're all not apostles, certainly, and we're not all evangelists the way Paul was. But the people in our lives that matter to us, uh, family members, friends, co-workers, neighbors, uh, those are the people that we ought to be sharing the gospel with um, over and over and over. Uh, Paul and I, when we go uh, out uh, restaurants or stores or anything else, uh, we're always looking for opportunities to share our faith. The reason we want to do that is because it really breaks our heart that people are going to die and go to hell. It breaks our heart. And I think if you apply that principle in your own lives, then what God has done is he's deposited his heart in your heart and you're hurting for the things that he's hurting and you're, you're, you're rejoicing for the things that bring him joy. And I think that's really, really important for us. So winning people to Christ, again, by the example that we set, but not just that, by the words that we use. The Apostle Paul wrote to Philemon, uh, who was a pastor in Colossae. He said, I pray that you'll be active in sharing your faith so you'll have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. And taken literally, and there's no other way to take that anonymous, I think what Paul is saying, my paraphrase, is if you're not sharing your faith with people, you just don't get it. You don't understand what a treasure that we have. You don't understand 
the freedom that we have for people. We have the answers to all of the questions that they're looking for. Now, they may not accept the, 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 the answers that we have for them, but that's between them and God. We're simply ambassadors. We're representatives of Jesus Christ, and the way we do that is by sharing our faith. And so uh, I think that's really important. We, we need to be honest. We need to be um, truthful in love, of course. Um, we, we need to be honest with right and wrong, regardless of the pressure that we might have put on us to, to accept things that we know are sinful. But believe me, when we stand before Jesus, if winning people to Christ was the most important thing in our lives, I promise you there is going to be a bucket full of rewards for you when you get into heaven. So yeah, winning people to Christ it's got to be the most important thing. I tell our church all the time that everything we do, every ministry here has one goal, and that's win people to Christ. Now, we do a lot of other things in those ministries, a lot of good things. But make no mistake, the goal is winning people to Christ when they see how good Jesus is. Hey, we've got 30 minutes. The phones have been quiet. We'd love your calls, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. I'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. This is Pastor Ron Arbaugh, and you're listening to the word to stand on for life. Let's go right to the phones. We've got Cindy on line one from San Antonio. Cindy, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I'm so glad you and Mama Paula were able to escape California safely and get back here. (laughs) (laughs) We snuck out in the cover of darkness. (laughs) Well, you're probably lucky lucky you got a flight, from what I've looked at the news. Yeah, and you know, praise the Lord, we had no problem at all. Our flights went so smoothly. Uh, in and out, nonstop. We were we were thrilled. So so we're we're blessed to be back. Rolling around in my mind since you left, and I've had to think about it all this time. So I'm awfully glad you're back. I, I was reading Thanks. now when Jesus was on the cross with the two thieves, and to the to the nice thief he had said, "Today, this day, you will be with me in paradise." Now, what I'm curious about was did the thief wait until Jesus died and was resurrected to be in paradise, or was it right when Jesus died that he got to be in paradise? And what did he mean by paradise, or did he mean heaven? And then that led me to wonder, everybody that went to heaven, or, you know, that believed in the Lord and was going to be in heaven, uh, before Jesus died and was resurrected, did they go to heaven, or were they kind of like hanging out in a in a waiting place, and then as soon as he uh, died or, or was resurrected, I didn't know which one, did they all go to heaven? So I've had to think about that ever since you're gone. And I'm going to get off the Good phone questions. and just on the radio. Thank, thank you, Cindy. I appreciate it very, very much. Um, this is a very Jewish thought process here. Paradise you remember Luke chapter 16 tells us that uh, Abraham's bosom, it's also called, or paradise, um, was a place in the center of the earth, in the abyss, where the righteous dead went until Jesus died for their sins and then ascended into heaven. He actually descended into that 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 chasm. Um, he set the captives free, and by that, while paradise is wonderful, it was paradise, um, Jesus set them free. He took them in his presence to heaven with him. And that happened, of course, during those three days um, um, that he was in the earth or during that time. Uh, There's no specific timeline given of what happened first. Uh, I know when when, uh, after his resurrection, uh, Mary Magdalene, uh, was holding on to him. He said, "No, don't don't cling to me. Uh, I still have to go to my father and your father." So my belief, Cindy, my opinion is that 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 
setting the captives free happened after his resurrection. Um, we know from Peter's epistle that uh, when he went down into the center of the earth, he declared victory. Uh, that probably happened before his resurrection. But we don't know for sure, but all of the righteous dead were held in a place in the center of the earth. Luke chapter 16, chapter 16 rather, explains that place where there, there was the, the place of, of torment and the place of of uh, called paradise. Now, the, the, the thief on the cross, who we would say got saved, that's the way we would characterize it, um, he would have instantly, upon his death, gone into paradise. So whatever day that was, Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Uh, it was that day Jesus went down there and joined him, um, probably for the victory declaration. But that's all it was. Um, they didn't go to heaven until Jesus escorted them into heaven and setting the captives free. I always like to think, Cindy, about the earth beginning to shake. And, and imagine the people down there would have heard this the, 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 the entrance of angels. They would have seen a light. Um, I can imagine the shaking like a like an earthquake. And when Jesus appeared to set him free, what a moment of victory that would be. Good question, Cindy. Thanks very much. Let's go to Matthew on line two. Matthew, thank you for holding. You're on the air. Yes, hello, Pastor Ron. Um, it's a delight to be on the air again with you. And um, Thank you, Matthew. And, and again, um, I have a firm faith that the Holy Spirit will speak to me through you, and um, I, I apologize if this question is complex. I apologize. Please forgive me ahead of time. No I don't mean in, intended to be. Um, and this has been a struggle for me many, many, many times. Uh, not just one struggle, two struggles, or anything like that. Um, and I have called in about this situation before. I just need more um, I guess more guidance and more um, verification on it more, well, like a uh, like a recharge. Um, okay, I'll do my best, Matthew. I, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't go and walking my walk and and walking with God, and I didn't have a quote unquote mountaintop experience. I didn't have. Um, the feelings of having the fruit of the spirit. I mean, I've dealt with depression and and uh, low, low self-esteem for a long time. Uh, you know, suicidal thoughts, things like that in my past. And I'm older now. Uh, I guess a little bit wiser too. I don't know, uh, but um, <laughs> I've had that to where you know it, it still plagues me. And and I'm not saying that. You know, you know. Once you have, once you walk with Christ, everything's all, all going to be rainbows, flowers. I I know that there's going to be tribulations. I know that there's going to be um, things in my way. That's you know all that. But my my question is, is that I am very terrified that um, that already God, because it says that He He is divine and we're the branches. And I'm very Pastor Ron, I'm, I'm terrified that that he cut me off, that I'm one of the branches that he cut me off and and that he's done with me and and that I'm I'm seriously like I I'm I'm like God, I'm sorry, but if that's what your will is and you wanna do that, I mean I'm not who am I to say that against you because you're my you're, you're either way if I believe him or not, he is who he is, and that's what he says. I am, and he is. I, I believe in that. Yes, but even if I didn't, he is no matter what, you know. And he is God Almighty. Rather, if I believe him or not, or if anybody believes him or not, he is who he is, no matter what. Um, and I, and I, I apologize for the complex question, but uh, can you that's please okay. uh, uh, help me out? I'm going to listen to it off the air. I'm in my nice cool vehicle right now, hold aside, and I'm going to listen to you off the air. Thank you very much, Pastor Ron, and God bless you. My pleasure, Matthew. 
My pleasure. Thank you. And and I I really I really grieve uh, for people who struggle with this. Um, Matthew, a couple of things. First, um, that 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 God is who He is. Um, you're misunderstanding who He is. You know, uh, when, when I hear things like, "Well, God is who He is," and who can argue with what He what He's going to do? Um, um, you're misunderstanding completely who He is. God is love. And Matthew, the one thing that that typically, and since I don't know you, I, I can't say this specifically about you, but typically is people don't understand that God really loves them. They haven't really allowed themselves to accept the fact that they are unconditionally loved by God. God is love, and and he's crazy about you, and you need to accept by faith that statement that has been demonstrated over and over and over um, by virtue of his death and resurrection on your behalf. Matthew chapter 13, verse 45, the pearl, the parable of the pearl of great price. Uh, Jesus says that if you found one pearl, that merchant, that king goes out, found one pearl, he'd sell he, he, whatever it took to buy it. He'd buy it. One pearl. That's not an accident. What God is saying, Matthew, is that you're worth everything to him. And he proved it. I like to say it this way. He emptied the vault of heaven just for you. If nobody else ever would have believed in the history of the world except you, Matthew, uh, Jesus still would have died for you. That he took the punishment your sins and mine deserved, proves once and forever that he loves you. And I think what you're struggling with is believing that. You you said you struggle with low self-esteem throughout your life. Um, you know, we, we don't need high self-esteem. What we need is Jesus' esteem. We need to, to see who we are in his eyes. And if we'll do that, Matthew, if we'll accept his love, then these questions go away. And secondly, you need to identify the source of these doubts. It is the enemy of your soul. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 say that, that upon believing, you were sealed with the Spirit a down payment or a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. So how could you be a branch that's burned off and thrown away? And that's that's misunderstood in John's gospel. That's not Jesus saying, well, if you're not good enough, I'm going to throw you away at all. That's just an, a, a, a description of what, what trees that don't bear fruit are. Their only value is to be thrown away, to be burned. Your value is far greater than that. And you've got to have enough faith, Matthew, to believe that. To shut out the lies, to settle once and for all, that when those lies come, I identify them as being from the devil, and I don't want to hear from him anymore. That God loves you is the most important theological thing you will ever accept or reject. And what I want you to do, Matthew, is believe with all of your heart that God loves you. Let me give you a homework assignment, Matthew, okay? Take the Song of Songs in your Bibles. It's not read by very many people, but it's absolutely magnificent. And just read the parts that are subtitled Lover. There, there's there's friends, there's the beloved and the lover. In, in that poem, and that's what it is, it's a poem, it's a song. You're the beloved. He's the lover. And I want you to read just the parts with the subtitle Lover. Because not only is King Solomon speaking to the woman who stole his heart, but it's Jesus who's speaking to you. That's the, the supernatural value of this book. And over and over, Matthew, here's what he's going to say to you. He's going to say, how beautiful you are, my darling. Now, now don't be offended by the, 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 the feminine references. Just, just let Jesus look at you and say, Matthew, you know, you've never had self-esteem. But let me convince you that I love you. All beautiful you are, my darling. There's no flaw in you. He's saying, Matthew, that you're perfect. And because you're perfect... How can he not be crazy in love with you? So just read those parts. You know, it'll only take you about eight minutes. 
and I've timed this myself, if you're an average reader, just read all of the parts that say, that are subtitled lover, and, and just let Jesus read them three, four, five times in a night. And then let the Holy Spirit sort of have his way in you. And just enjoy being loved on by God. So God is not a God who's anxious to throw you away. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 21, I think, says that that judgment is a strange word for God. In other words, it's contrary to his nature. He came to save those who were lost. And when he saved you, he did it as an act of grace, an act of love. And so, Matthew, what you've got to do is remember that he loves you. And when the lies start coming in your head, take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. Throw them away. Open your Bible. Start talking to the Lord. And, and let him convince you all over again. And do that as often as you need to do it until you really believe it, until you've really accepted it. Now, one other thing. The power when you said you haven't had the experience with the Holy Spirit like this. Obedience is the trigger for that power. And God wants you to get baptized in the Spirit. And all you have to do is be obedient. Not perfect, but want to be perfect. And as you're following Jesus, if you're being obedient to his word, Matthew, then his spirit is going to be poured out upon you and through you and it will change everything in your life. And that's a promise I can make you. I make that promise over and over and over and people have great, great victorious moments. God wants you to have that moment where you can finally open your heart and accept his love. Don't rush him. There's going to be a lot of spiritual interference. Close yourself in a room, just you, your Bible, and a comfortable pillow for your knees. And wait on the Lord. Because I promise you, if you're seeking, you'll find Him. And that love will be yours. Thank you, Matthew. It's always good to hear from you. I appreciate it very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Renee, also from our mobile app. Uh, she says, Paul always went to the synagogue when he would enter a city, a new city. Why? Um, Renee, Jesus um, told them, um, told, told the apostles, not Paul at the time, but he said when they go to, to a new city, uh, the, the gospel is to be brought first to the Jew, go to Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. And so, so the message came to the Jews first. And Paul simply followed that example. And he would go to a synagogue, and you'll see him at times when he goes to a new place, uh, to a river, for a city. Uh, for a synagogue, there had to be 10 Jewish males. Uh, in some places, there weren't that many. So he'd go to a river. That would be typically where Jews would go out uh, to worship. Uh, and Paul wanted to be where they were. And he had a heart for Jews. Again, I want to refer to Romans chapter 9, uh, verses 1 through 5. Um, Paul, his heart was broken that Jews wouldn't believe. And he offered to give his place in heaven. Now, that's not possible, but, but we know that because it was written by the Holy Spirit, we know it's true. Um, and so he wanted the Jews to get saved. And then when they would reject him, he would sort of figuratively shake the dust off his feet and then take the message to the Gentiles. And when he made that declaration, Rene had always caused him a great deal of grief because that would stir up the Jewish crowd. And um, and Paul wasn't afraid of stirring him up. So that's why he always went to the synagogue first. Uh, the gospel belongs first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles and the rest of the world. Good question. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from Dubs, D-U-B-B-S, from our email inbox. Uh, Pastor Ron, regarding Mark 8.25, this is the only healing miracle I've seen in the entire Bible where it took Jesus two times to heal someone. I know it must be significant and have a reason. Can you address that, please? Um, 
let me read the passage, uh, Dubs, and then we'll I'll get to the question. It says, Jesus, so we took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. This is Mark eight twenty three. Uh, then he spit on the man's eyes and placed his hands on him. Can you see anything, he asked. The man looked up and said, I can see the people, but they look like trees walking around. Once again, Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes, and when he opened them, his sight was restored, and he could see everything clearly. Now, Mark, we're not told why it took him two hand, two times. Um, the most interesting thing about this miracle is that the healing was not instantaneous. Uh, there were two phases, and as you pointed out, it's unlike any other miracle Jesus ever did. And and when we ask the question why, the, the answer is there's no definitive answer. Now, I'll give you um, my opinion. I, I think it's a, a learned opinion, but uh, I think the application for us is important. I believe that this is how all of us respond to the touch of Jesus. Um, we see Jesus dimly. Uh, that that's I see people walking around like trees. Can you imagine this blind man as he began to see a little bit? He would he would be staring at Jesus. Well, I think at the beginning, that's how we all see Jesus. And then in the person of the Holy Spirit, he opens our eyes spiritually, and it's only by the power of the Spirit that we can see clearly. Now, let me take a small tangent here. Um, Dubs, the... the um, one of the real tragedies of our Christian faith, I'll speak just in the United States, um, is that... that most, I dare say, professing Christians don't see Jesus clearly. We're trying to figure him out. We're trying to 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 get him to do things our way, or we we have to understand things. Um, the Bible says we're to walk by faith and not by sight. I think too many of us are comfortable walking by sight, which makes faith irrelevant. And until we really trust him, until we're obedient. Uh, we're not going to see him clearly. Unless we back off and lose ourselves, we're not going to see him clearly. And um, uh, the Holy Spirit does that for us. He's the one who heals. He's the one who touches us, and we begin to see. Um, then if we choose to see more, he enables us to see more and more of Jesus. And I think this is a process, uh, the theological term is sanctification. Um, we grow day by day in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and we become more and more like him every day. Uh, when we are seeing him more clearly, we realize that we're sinners, and we deserve judgment. It's at that moment when the Holy Spirit points to Jesus and asks us, what do we see? And then we can see him clearly. And that's when the Holy Spirit moves from beside us and comes to live in us. And that's when we can really see. Remember, there was another blind man Jesus healed. And when they questioned him, he said, all I know is once I was blind and now I see. Well, that's exactly what happens to us. So I think two two possible reasons. One, uh, Jesus did things differently all the time. You know, we have expectations he's going to do something the same way every time. And, and that's uh, to presume upon on on the Lord. But but I think it's it's very practical for us. I think he wants us to truly understand that if we'll press into him, we will see him more and more clearly. And when we see him clearly, uh, Dubs, that's when we will uh, finally uh, be able to hear from him, to recognize his voice, to get the direction that we need. And I want to repeat something I said to Matthew a little bit earlier. Um, obedience to him is the trigger for the power that comes from him. Good question. Thank you very, very much. I think I've got time for one more question. This one is from Dustin. He says, I have a tendency to miss church because I just can't get going on Sunday mornings. What does God think about that? Uh, Dustin, I can tell you, God's heart is broken because you're lazy. If you had an opportunity to do something that you really love to do, you'd get up on Sunday mornings, wouldn't you? I don't know what your hobbies are, what the things you like to do best is. For me, I used to get up 
before dawn and go play off, play golf. And I did it early so I could tee off and play two times, play 36 holes. And my, you know, I, I never missed a tee time. Why? Because that was what mattered to me. Dustin, what you're saying to God is that he's not that important to you. It's that simple. It's time for you to grow up. It's time for you to discipline yourself. It's time for you to reprioritize the things in your life. Someone like me can tell you there's nothing more important than you nurturing your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'll do that, you'll want to be in church and you'll want to serve. But as long as you're spiritually lazy, then you're going to keep doing what you've always been doing. It's a cycle that needs to be broken. And the only one with a smile on his face is the enemy of your soul, Dustin, because he doesn't want you there and you're letting him win. So a tendency to miss church. Can you imagine Jesus saying, hey, I'll meet you there at 8.30 on Sunday morning. Can you imagine standing him up? Well, that's exactly what you're doing. Because Jesus said that he's there in the church. Wherever two or three are gathered, I'm there in their presence. The book of Revelation shows Jesus walking around in the middle of his congregation to seven letters to the seven churches. And if you'll understand that, then you won't miss church. You've got to decide that Jesus is more important to you than he obviously is. Hey, thanks for the question. Tomorrow, Paula will be live in studio with us on the Date Day edition Uh, May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow with Paula on AM 630 The Word, 4 o'clock. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4. And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.